0: Hi, I'm Salma Jett, Divisional Vice President of U.S. and Global Marketing for Abbott's neuromodulation business. At Abbott, we are working across our company to support communities with resources and technologies to fight the evolving impact of COVID-19, getting new molecular antigen and antibody tests and rapid tests into the hands of frontline workers so people can receive the critical results they need. It's difficult to forget the news that came out of New York City in early April when daily coronavirus hospitalizations reached into the thousands. To aid the city's healthcare workforce, the governor appealed to volunteer physicians for aid during the crises, and healthcare workers from across the nation answered the call, risking their own lives to help care for those affected by this devastating disease. Among those physicians was Dr. Paul Lynch, an interventional pain specialist and co-founder of Arizona Pain, PainDoctor.com, Holistic Pain, and Boost Medical. Dr. Lynch is no stranger to healthcare crises. As a young medical student in New York City on 9-11, he vividly recalls catching a train downtown to help potential survivors. Dr. Lynch recently spoke with Keith Bediger about how his experience in 2001 inspired him to return to New York amid COVID-19.
1: I've just been incredibly impressed with a lot of the pain physicians that we work with that have really stepped up in this pandemic and this crisis and, you know, made the decision to leave their practice for some time and go, you know, out of selflessness, go help people in New York City, which was, you know, the hot spot around the globe for, for COVID-19 and you're, you're one of those people. And I, I just, I think it's impressive when people take risks with risks in their lives. One, you know, you've got a beautiful, you got a great practice. You got a beautiful family. You really didn't have to go to New York, but you did so out of some some sense of duty. Um, And so I just kind of want to get a better understanding for, you know, why, why you made that, why you made that decision to go, to
2: go to New York. Thank you for saying that, Keith. I appreciate it. I think you, uh, I know you're a nurse and we've talked about your experiences with patients. And I think what drives people like you and me to go into healthcare, um, uh, I, I think at the end of the day is we really like making a difference and we, uh, we want to help people. We want to save lives. Um, and so I think for, um, uh, you know, for me, um, what drives me every morning is, you know, the difference I'm going to make for my patients and, you know, um, and impacting society. I think on a deeper level, I was in New York city during nine 11. Um, my wife was a first year dental school at NYU and I was finishing up medical school, um, doing away rotations in Queens. And, um, I saw the towers fall and I, you know, I jumped on a subway and just ran to, you know, ground zero, um, trying to help. And there was no one to help. Um, they basically sent us away and said everyone was dead and there were no survivors. And that wasn't completely true there. Were, I found out later that the few survivors they had went to Bellevue hospital, which is where I ended up training during my anesthesia. And so as this COVID thing kind of played out, um, my, uh, my mentors and teachers, a lot of the people that, you know, trained me, I ended up doing my anesthesia at NYU as well. And, um, they all started getting sick. So we had 900 people from Bellevue hospital where I used to work, get sick with COVID. And so Mm -hmm. the calls kind of started going out on social media and through email and text messages saying, Hey, any, uh, any of the docs that can come back and help. Like literally the department was just being decimated. Um, 50% of our anesthesiologists got sick. Um, which makes sense because we're kind of on the front line innovating and, um, you know there's lots of aerosolizing procedures and stuff in the air and so right. um so i decided to go and they um they fast-tracked it for me and got a license and and i went and helped um help the anesthesia department helped in the icus and i didn't really uh, think twice about it. I mean, I, I did talk to my family about it and pray with them about it but um you know there's an emergency that needed an anesthesiologist i couldn't just sit on the sideline
0: despite having not worked in the icu setting for more than a decade Dr. Lynch said one of the toughest aspects of volunteering in New York City was the sheer volume of patients who sought treatment for COVID-19 and how transmissible the virus is. Within a week of working at the hospital, he became one of the first people in his unit to contract coronavirus. He estimates that at least 50% of the people he worked with also contracted the virus.
1: So what were the most impressive things that you you saw or experienced with with other Healthcare workers, or just other people, while you were working in and, and,
2: uh, in New York. It's a good question. You know, I'm um, by nature uh, like a storyteller. I, li- I like to document, take pictures, and um, you and I have kind of talked a little bit about Africa. Um, when I go to Africa, I really like to meet the people and tell their story. Um, and sometimes that's just being in their environment and taking pictures of them and watching them and understanding who they are. When I went to New York. Um, you know, the, the storyteller part of me wanted to document the experiences of those around me. And so, um, what I would do is when there was downtime, which wasn't a whole lot, or after my shift, um, I would, uh, I would ask questions of the people around me and I would intentionally, um, you know, ask them who they were, they, where they were from, why they came, I would photograph them. I would write some notes down. Um, and I did this a little bit, um, in conjunction with a, um, with a hospital, so they knew what was going on. And so right. uh, uh, I, it, was, it was incredible, Keith. There was not one person was from the same place, um, mm-hmm. specifically the intensive care unit. So our intensive care unit had 12 beds. And it's a long story, but we turned basically the entire hospital intensive care unit. Uh, yeah. But I was on one of the classic uh, you know surgical intensive care units. We had 12 beds. Well, we turned it into 24, so we had two patients in each room, um, <clears throat> and so then you had twice as many nurses, and twice as many techs, and twice as many doctors. So the floor was just teeming with people. And as I would go around and say, you know, what's your name? Where are you from? Everyone was from somewhere different. The, the nurses really stood out. You know, um, I, I six beds in a row, there would be six nurses, and it would be Louisiana, North Carolina, Michigan, Oklahoma, Texas. Washington California Um, and it wasn't you know the money that was driving them Um, some of them came completely to volunteer they were retired they had just retired and they said I'm going to go back and work an extra month Um, most of it was they had a personal story um, Mm -hmm. and um, it really uh, it touched me a lot because every one of them you know really was putting their life at risk and they weren't all young you know I felt like you know I'm fairly young in the big picture I won't be able to say that much longer but you know, I felt like if I got sick, I'd be, like, I remember
1: when we were, I remember when we were all
2: young. Yeah. <laughs> we used to be a lot younger. That's for sure. But, uh, there were people that were 60 years old that came to help and, you know, put their you know life at risk. So I was, um, I could go on and on about their stories, but it all was very similar, which is they felt they needed to come. They had family in Brooklyn. They had family in Queens. Um, they their, uh, wherever they left, the people were very anxious and sad, but supportive. Um, and they were going to do everything they could. It reminded me of like firemen, you know, running into a fire to, you know, they, they know right. they're taking on risk, but this is what they were called to do. So I know you contracted the virus. So,
1: but let me, before I, I ask you about that, how about the people that you were working with and the, 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 uh, the ship that you were on, I don't know if it was the same people every day, but how many of the people that you worked with also contracted the virus?
2: I don't know, um, at least two more after I got sick and the people I was mm-hmm. working with. It just depends on who you say you're working with. I, we had a team of about probably 12, maybe not 12, maybe maybe like 10 physicians that were taking care of 24 uh-huh. people. It was a real team approach. And I would say of those 10, probably 50% of us got it either before I got sick or after I got sick. Um, the two physicians, we both showed up on the same day, was me and an intensivist from Pittsburgh. She was a lot more helpful than me because she was like a full-time attending in the ICU. Mm-hmm. I got sick, and then two days later, she got sent home. She was sick, and we were both volunteers. Plus, my my two attendings that trained me, both of them got sick, so probably 50%. And the number was around 50% in our anesthesia department. Okay. So what was that? How, I mean, you're better now. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. How um, long I'm like, I would say I'm like 95% better. Um, okay. my only, I had three symptoms. Um, I had a fever. I was super tired and my oxygen mm-hmm. saturations fell low. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you care, it's just interesting. I'll text you a video because people wouldn't believe it if they didn't see it. I was sat in the 80s for just days at a time. Um, oh, really? Just baseline in the 80s. But I didn't really feel short of breath. And you saw some of that reported in the media um, early on. But there's, it's like a silent hypoxemia. And so I was really low SATs, but I wasn't really short of breath. As a matter of fact, I wasn't breathing very much. So I started testing. I was in a hotel room basically taking care of myself. And so um, I started um, tracking my respirations. And as you know, as a nurse, you know your normal respirations between 12 and 16 you know, a minute, I was breathing at like five like legitimately five for like hours and I didn't have a drive to breathe. And so I'd have to make myself breathe, but then you forget. That's the beautiful thing about breathing is you don't have to tell yourself to breathe, right? (laughs) You forget. And then my oxygen would drop. So for about 48 hours, I was satting off and on in the eighties. And then, um, so I basically had a fever. I had low oxygen. I was tired. My fevers went away in like 48 hours and then um, to this day, if I throw on a pulse ox, it's like 93 or 94, not 99, which is a little concerning. Um, and then I'm still a little tired, but I'm, I'm getting better. Um, today, what is like June now, I got back um, at the beginning of May or end of April. And for the first almost month, I took a nap every day, like every mm-hmm. day you know, I'd be working. I would say I got to go lay down for like 30 or 40 minutes. I just couldn't work anymore but I haven't taken a nap in about four or five days, which, so I feel like I'm finally coming out of it. How many days were you, how many days did you
1: work? I was there the-
2: total of about three weeks, but I worked about two weeks and then was in quarantine for a week and then uh, yeah. Okay,
1: and then when you came back, how long were you, were you did another, you quarantine I did Another,
2: I did another week, we thought about doing two weeks, but we looked at all the CDC guidance and because I had a blood test that showed I had IgG antibodies, it was very uh-huh. unlikely that I could transmit it. So all in, I was in. I was about two weeks of quarantine, a week in New York, and then a week here.
0: While the experience was harrowing at times, Dr. Lynch said he would not hesitate to return to the front lines if called upon. The experience has made him even more aware of how precious life is and how important his role is as a physician to protect his patients.
1: So, if you think about your experience now, like. What 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 are the learnings that you'll take away, and I mean, what kind of impact will that have on like your decisions and the way you treat patients and, and your coworkers going
2: forward? I mean, it, that's probably the best question of the interview. So nice work, Keith. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it definitely changed me, but I noticed. Um, I actually think becoming a pain doc and the way I've treated patients the last you know twelve years changed me as I went back to New York and. Um, when I got there, what I noticed was when I was a doctor before, if there was a code and someone was dying, I mean, I went and did my job. I didn't know who they were. I would literally, the only reason I would know their name was to put it in the record or to write a note. Um, it's not like where you want to be making friends as someone, you know, dying. Uh, I think 12 years of talking about mom or dad type medicine, when I got called to a code on that first day, I mean, I want to know who they were, where they were from. I would talk to them. I was acutely aware this might be the last time that they, they speak to someone was me. Um, and then I want to have an impact. And so I think it totally changed the way I interacted in intensive care right. um, and the way I talked to the families, you know, about their you know, their dying loved ones. Um, but now coming back, I think it's even made me more acutely aware of, you know, the preciousness of life. And, you know, when I have a patient sitting in front of me, which hasn't happened a lot with COVID, but on the computer... Um, I'm just thankful they're alive. They can talk to me and um, I'm really aware of protecting their life. And it's not, it's not really fair to docs who haven't seen it. You can't hold them to that standard. But when you've seen someone rapidly um, dying because they can't breathe, and then you have a 75 year old on your, you know, telemedicine, they ask, well, can I come in and see you next time? You're like, no, let's do this over the phone for a while. And let's let this truly pass. And so I would say that my the biggest impact on me as kind of like the leader of our group is uh, we're way more conservative than some of our competitors. I just, we're just not reopening. We're still seeing 90, 95% of our patients last week by telehealth. And that might, you know, not be great for the business, but I, I just want to make sure when we look back on this, that I made all the decisions based on what was right for, um, for the health of the patient and that public health. And then we worry about the business second. Would you hesitate to,
1: if this happened again, would you hesitate to even go back and do what you, you did this time?
2: No, no, no. I'm already actually planning on going back in the fall. I don't think, um, I don't know how it's going to play out. If they need me here, I'm going to stay here and work in the hospitals. We wrote, while I was there, my mentor and I wrote like a 16 page handbook that hospitals could use, like a disaster preparedness, like handbook. And mm-hmm. I mean, using like my checklist. So if the hospital down the street gets overwhelmed, I'm going to show up and say, this is what we did in New York. Um, I think it really could help. I mean, it's really detailed about which medications, which drugs, how to run the ICU, how to do the team's, how to um, take a negative pressure room and turn it into a positive pressure, how to convert your ORs, like really good details. So I'm kind of planning on whatever I learned there, I'll use here. But if for some reason it kind of misses here and hits New York again, I'm gonna go back in the fall.
0: Since that interview, Dr. Lynch returned from New York City and has slowly been recovering from COVID-19 while returning to full-time pain management practice as a physician and CEO of Pain Doctor, Inc he explained that he would do it all over again and is thankful for the opportunity he had to make a difference in New York. Thanks for listening.